Stephen. Um, so yeah, I get the honor and privilege of kicking us off with a new sermon series. We're going to start Romans 6 today, so it's called You New. Um, and before we jump into the passage, I want to actually introduce you. Um, I don't know everyone here, so I want to introduce you to my family. Uh, so I have a picture right there. Oh, so cute. Um, that's me. Obviously, that's uh, my amazing, beautiful wife, and that is our rather large for his age, almost seven-month-old son, <laughs> William. Um, if you're wondering about the confused look on his face, it was 30 degrees when we were taking those pictures back at home, so he has never experienced, I think, anything below 60, so he's just like, what is this? What's going on? I'm so cold. Um, William is, uh, I would like to describe him as he has my wife's amazing good looks, and at least so far, he has um, his dad's hairline. So, um, so uh, opening joke, check. Um, so, um, so I grew up in the South. Um, that's where this picture was taken. I grew up in the South, and uh, we have these things in the South. They're called yards. Um, and, uh, and I don't mean like a San Diego yard, which means that you have grass and you can't touch either side of the yard with both your arms when they're extended, right? Like a true yard that you can actually run at top speed for a little bit of time and not smash into the house next to you. So, um, so we have this awesome, awesome backyard, and it's got woods lining one side. I mean, probably an acre and a half. Woods on one side. My dad and mom had planted this awesome, beautiful garden. Um, we had this swing set. It was, it was just it was fantastic. And in the very, very, very back corner of our yard, we had this big green electrical box, right? And on the electrical box, there's this sticker that is burned into my memory because it's got this horrifying warning. I don't know if, the, if this is an, on all electrical boxes, but let me see if I can paint the picture because I can still so vividly remember. It's got this kind of like electrical shock-looking monster with this angry face and like reaching out one of his electrical arms and like a, a child is like exploding away from it, recoiling. <laughs> Obviously, he's been electrocuted. And it says, do not touch this. Like, don't, don't touch this, if, if like the image didn't communicate that. Um, but of course, this amazing yard, I would always gravitate towards this electrical box in the back corner of our yard. And this is, this is me four or five years old. And I would get kind of get close up and just look at it and stare at the sticker and just be like, oh, man, that looks terrifying. I want to touch that. Um, and, uh, and over and over again, I would come, I would get close. And, uh, and then finally one day, of course, my inquisitive five, six-year-old self, like, touches it and runs away as if, like, I, I clearly didn't understand the properties of electricity at that point. Like, I could escape it if I just barely tapped it. Um, thankfully, nothing happened. I didn't get electrocuted. Um, but thinking back on my experience with that electrical box in, our, in the back corner of our amazing backyard, I think that's, an, that's a really good example of how we interact with God. We just often neglect him. We neglect the good that he's given us. And we never enjoy where he has us. We're, we're always tempted to want the things that we know aren't good for us. And... I'm excited to open this passage because it talks about this specific thing that I'm sure that we all really struggle with. So um, we're going to jump into the passage. Uh, it's Romans 6, 1 and 2, if you want to open. Uh, it's, in the, it's in the bulletin. You can pull it up on your phones. I'm going to read 
uh, two different translations, one uh, that we're going to kind of look at more deeply, the ESV, but then also I'm going to read the message because I love uh, that translation. I think it's, it really captures the essence of what's going on in the passage. So, so Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then the next translation, the message. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? So before we jump into the passage, I know we, we, we haven't been in Romans for a while, so I want to give you guys a little bit of the context of what's been leading up to these verses. And in the second half of Romans 5, Paul is just explaining that, that all people are under the reign of sin, whether it's Jew or, or Gentile. And if you're, if you're new to, to church and those ter- terms are, are new to you, the Jews were God's chosen people from the beginning of the Bible, so the Bible's kind of walking through the story of their story of God's people. And then the Gentiles are everyone else. So you've got Jews, you've got Gentiles. Everyone in this room falls in one of those two categories. So he's basically saying that everyone, regardless of if you're God's chosen people or not, you're under the reign of sin. But no longer. In Christ, the reign of sin has been defeated, and now we're under a new reign, the reign of righteousness. And uh, chapter 5, 20 and 21 summarizes this um, by saying, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm just going to pause and just be like, that's awesome right there. Like that is such such good news. I, I, I don't want to just gloss over that. That's just amazing. So Paul is saying, if, you, if you're a visual person, if sin, is, if sin is reaching here, grace is always extending further out. Grace is always extending further. And so before we go any further, so I was a philosophy major in college, um, and basically what that means is you just write and think in class all the time. And a big part of what we do is you have to define the terms that you're talking about. So what is love? What is justice? What is truth? Um, So I thought it would be really helpful to define what is grace. Because grace is a word we use all the time. You probably probably hear it every Sunday. Um, But so often, if we don't remind ourselves, we kind of lose its meaning. And so when I talk about grace for the rest of this sermon, I want you to think about it in light of favor. Unmerited favor that God gives us as sinners because of Jesus. So grace equals favor from God, favor with God. <clears throat> so Paul is jumping into this passage that we're at now. He's trying to head off all the potential questions that people might potentially have. And so you look at this passage and it's basically saying, sin is here, grace is extending further. The more, the more we sin, inevitably, the further grace is going to extend. We can never outstrip grace with our sin. So Maybe people are starting to ask the question, if grace is such a good thing, why not sin to experience more of it? Or, put another way, probably a little bit more honest, 
if grace can cover my sin, why not just keep, why not just keep sinning and experiencing grace? Kind of like, can I have my cake and eat it too, right? Paul's answer is simple. Uh, he says, that's, that's not who you are anymore. That's, that's not who you are. And so I'm a child of the 90s and uh, just a great era for TV, for movies. And so I wanted to pull uh, a clip from a classic, classic 90s movie that I think really clearly illustrates this point. <laughs> the best, man, God. Um, I have so many thoughts on that, but I'm just going to stick with, basically, what I'm saying is that we're all the men in black now, right? Um, no, um, I love that because it's basically like, he's, as he's like, apparently there's this database where you can just backspace your identity till it's all gone. But, um, but he's, basically, that guy's saying, the old you is, is, is effectively dead, the old rules, the old reign, the old laws no longer apply to you. You are no longer the James Edwards. You are Jay. You are a man in black. Can you imagine those guys going back to their old lives? Like, they have the coolest jobs. They get to fight and chase and hang out with aliens. Like, they would never, they would never be like, ah, I'm, I'm, you know, I just want to go back to being my, my old self, my old relationship, my old, whatever. Like, they would never do that. They would never step away from the new self to go back to the old self, which is effectively dead. Because the new one is so much better, right? That, 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 that's, so, that's so much better. But I think in thinking about this passage that, the consequences of stepping back into a life of sin are far graver than Agent J, Agent K, stepping back away from being a men in black, where they're, you know, kind of stepping above the law. Because the reality is that, is that we still sin. We still feel the pull. We still feel its allure. So the question is, and as we jump into this passage, should we just give in, just knowing that grace is waiting on the other side? 
So when you think about this idea of continuing to sin to experience more grace, um, I think you can kind of break it down into two types of people who, who, who um, would struggle with this. And we'll call them the unconscious and the conscious exploiters of grace. So on the one hand, you've got an unconscious exploiter of grace. And so this might be someone who's new to the faith or someone who's unacquainted with the fact that their habits are destructive in their spiritual life. So this could be someone who doesn't realize it necessarily, like they have an, you have an idolatry of work. Work is on the throne of your life. You might not even understand that that's hurting you, but the reality is the Bible talks about anything that takes that number one priority away from God is sin, and it's effectively distancing us, us from God. Or another example would be um, there's, you have a relationship in your life. It's a, it's a boyfriend, it's a girlfriend, it's a friend, and this relationship is, is pulling you away from God. You don't necessarily realize it, but the reality is, is that you're struggling and that's distancing you from God. So you've got this unconscious group of people, but then you also have, which probably includes much more of us, myself included, is these conscious exploiters of grace. And essentially they see grace as an excuse to keep on sinning. Um, or I came across this quote by this guy, W.H. Auden, which says, I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. Um, I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. Um, example of this would be you want this promotion, and you know you're going to have to do something unethical to get to that place, whether it's lying or fudging numbers or whatever. Um, and you just understand, I know this is wrong, but I really want this, <laughs> but, but God will forgive me. It's okay. It'll be okay. Or you're super stressed, you've had a, a terrible day, you come home, you open up your computer and you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to lust right now. I know that God's going to forgive me, but I want this right now and whatever, his, his grace will cover me. The reality for this is, as Paul lays out in this passage, is that we are actually dead to our sin. We're no longer under its reign in our lives so the thought of entering back into it actually is problematic in, in two ways. So on the one hand, although we're free from the penalty of sin because of grace, that doesn't mean that through sinning we can't be under the power of sin. So we can be, from the, we can be free from the penalty, but not necessarily from the power of sins. And you see this in Galatians 5 when Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, don't submit again under the yoke of slavery. Like that is strong, strong language saying that if you enter back into this sin, it's actually, you're putting a yoke, you're putting a burden on your shoulders. There's, there's going to be, there's going to be, there's going to be things that happen because of that. There's going to be um, consequences of the sin, regardless of, of grace. And so about two years ago, I, uh, I'm, I'm a woodworker. Uh, as a hobby, and about two years ago, I was um, cutting wood on my table saw, and um, just didn't, wasn't paying attention for a split second, and boom, sliced my hand, um, cut through tendons, cut through nerves, it was gnarly, I actually have a picture, no, I don't have a picture, that would be disgusting, <laughs> I, I was, <laughs> people started sweating, no, I would, I, I'll be transparent, I'm so soft when it comes to blood, I would pass out, boom, right here. Um, no picture. But take my word for it, it was pretty gnarly. And 
So I had to be obviously rushed to immediate emergency surgery. And the doctors did an amazing job. They reattached the nerves. They fixed the tendons. They sewed me up. I mean, you can, I mean, I guess you can, you can kind of see the scar a little bit, but um, they rehabbed me. It was awesome. By the end of it, like, I have full range of motion. Um, my feeling has, has come back somewhat. I mean, I'm just, I'm just completely and utterly amazed at the, at the miraculous work that they did. Um, but the reality is, is that I still have a lot of scar tissue. I, I still feel tingling in my fingers. I will never experience full feeling in these fingers anymore. Now, what if I were to say, wow, they did the most amazing job on my hand. That was, that was, that was a miraculous experience. I got to see such cool things. I should do that again. I should go through this whole process again. Like, let's just see what, like, just because I want to see them do this amazing work on my hand. No, that would be crazy. That would be absurd. But why do we do this with sin? Why, why, would we, why would we consider doing this in the same way with sin? That's how we look at God's grace when we think we can continue sinning. We think that hurting ourselves through sinning is going to have no consequences. I, I personally, I bear the consequences of that sin. I, w- I would never, ever <laughs> want to go through that experience again. The second consequence of abusing grace is something, if possible, even more damaging. And I want you to imagine God, the presence of God in the middle of a field. And it extends infinitely in all directions. And that field represents God's grace. And every time we're sinning, I want you to imagine us taking one little step away from God. And then we sin again. And we're taking another little step away from God. We're not outside of the realm of his grace, but what we are far from is his presence, right? It's going to be a lot harder to have a conversation with God, to feel close, to experience that intimacy with him if he's way out on the street right there and we're right here. We're still experiencing the grace. We can still see God, but we're far from him. That's what us, the idea of us sinning and just extending grace further and further means. There's still going to be the presence of God, but there's going to be a serious lack of intimacy. It's going to be so hard um, to hear his voice. So clearly this idea of grace kind of abounding outwardly that we might experience more of it is not the way for us to experience more of grace. But there is a way that we do experience more of grace. And one of my all-time favorite passages, Psalm 16, I think captures how we can, how we can rightly experience more grace of God. And um, verse 5 and 6 says, uh, and I think we have a slide for this, um, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in a pleasant place. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Just thinking back on that story that I opened up with about my awesome backyard and the electrical box, I just think that I can, I mean, I think about that in light of this passage in that in Christ we are ushered into this beautiful place, this, just this, the, the most amazing, beautiful place. And, at the, and, it, and the most beautiful aspect of that is that the presence of God is right there. But 
what do you and I do in this place? We like walk to the edge, walk to the right to the edge. We kind of like peer over the, the fence and like, hmm, what's going on? That, you know, that could be interesting. I, I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm intrigued by that. And we kind of like wear the edge of the boundaries. And as we're doing that, our eyes are looking out and not in at the presence of God. And if we do this, we miss what's going on in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And then it wraps up with verse 11, which says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I once heard a pastor speak on this passage saying, The moment that I find something fuller than full, And longer than forever, I'm out on God. The moment I find something that's going to fill me up more than full and it's going to last longer than forevermore, I'm out. But obviously, I'll never find that. Um, In the story of the prodigal son, there's a phrase that I love. It's one of my favorite phrases in all of the Bible, and it occurs in, in verse 20. And if you're not familiar with this story, it's a, it's a story that Jesus tells. And uh, there's a story about two sons and a father. And the youngest son goes to his father and he says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I'm out, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and he takes that inheritance. His father gives it to him. He takes it and essentially goes to Vegas and just blows it. To a point where he is utterly destitute. He's eating slop that people are throwing out for the pigs. And he's to such a low point that he decides, you know what? I'm going to go back to my father. Like, uh, the, my state right now, if I could even just be a servant to him, I would be in such a better position. And so he decides to go back. And in verse 20... It has this phrase that I just, I just love. And it says, But while he, the son, was a long way off, the father saw him. While he was a long way off, the father saw him. And I, I love picturing in my mind's eye kind of the son, like kind of coming over the last hill, like just in rags, disgusting, trudging over the hill. And the father just, he just sees him, immediately sees him. I, it doesn't say this in the passage, but I, I think that Scripture backs this up, that I think the reason why this father saw him while he was such a long way off was that he was waiting for his son to come back. He was longing for his return. Just as, as an aside, do you feel like that son? Do you, do you feel I've exploited God's grace to a point where I can't even imagine that he would want me back? The father sees his son, runs to him, wraps him in his arms, puts, him, puts new clothes on him, and there's a celebration. The, the cool thing that I love about that passage is that The son never stopped being the son to the father. When he was 
running as far and as fast as ways he could. He never stopped being a son to the Father. He never left, in a sense, the Father's presence. He never left who he was. But the joy that he experienced, I just imagine, in his Father's embrace, was infinitely better than any experience he could have had when he was blowing his Father's inheritance. You see, and if you've, if you've zoned out for a second, or for, through it, kind of bring it back, give me 15 seconds, and then you can go away. Um, metaphorically, please don't walk out. Um, <clears throat> you see, grace is best experience, not abounding outward, but abounding inward, right? Grace is best experience, not, not, not sinning more and experiencing more like that. It's best experience in the closeness of the presence of God. And that we can experience more and more day by day. So, application point. Um, for those of you who are, are here and you would say, I, I'm a Christian, I'm, I have a relationship with God, I'm walking with him. I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I peeking over at the fence? What am I peeking over the fence at right now? What's pulling my gaze away from the presence of God? Is it security? Is it money? Is it future? Is it your kids? Is it a specific sin? A, a really practical way to figure this out is, what's the first concern that pops into your head when you wake up in the morning? And then I, I would challenge you to ask yourself this question. How can experiencing the grace of God abounding inward counter this? For those of you who are, aren't Christians, just checking out the church, maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been here for a while. Um, first, thanks so much for coming. I know it's a, it's a huge step to step into something that could be very strange and weird and uncomfortable, so um, we're so thankful that you're here. Um, but I want to ask you the question, what's keeping you from further peeking in? What's keeping you from peeking in, taking another step towards what does this thing called Christianity look like? And then what are the things that, that you're trying to fill yourself up with? Is it providing fullness of joy? Is it providing pleasures forevermore? And so very practically, if this is where you are, I want you to just ask yourself the question, what's one thing I can do this week to take a step towards exploring more the claims of Christianity? Not, not jump all in, just what's one thing? Is it, is it shoot an email to Stephen saying, I'd like to grab coffee and I have some serious questions? Is it, I'm going to check out uh, a life group? Is it, I have a friend who's invited me to this church, let's have a meal and talk more about this? Because the reality is, like I said, Grace isn't best experienced abounding outward. It's best experienced abounding inward in the presence of an amazing God. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for bringing us all here today. We are so thankful that your grace does extend past our sin, but let us not be people who take advantage of that. Let us be people who 
long to experience more of you. Let, let us be reminded that the lines have been drawn for us in pleasant places. We have a beautiful and good inheritance because you are there. Um, and show us the ways that we are peeking outside of that fence. Show us the ways that we are diverting our gaze away from you and toward other things. Um, pray this in your name. Amen.